You're listening to the Right Mindset Podcast with Raquel Henry. This is episode seven. This podcast is produced by my writing studio, Writers Atelier. I'm an author, editor, writing coach, and part-time professor who believes that mindset work is the cornerstone of writing success. Hi, all. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you all so much for returning. And if you're new, I appreciate you giving the Right Mindset a shot. Uh, I know it's been a while. I'm all about totally being fully transparent with you guys. And in all honesty, I've struggled a little bit with showing up. It just has seemed a little bit insignificant (laughs) when the world is uh, sort of on fire. But, you know, then an email came in from a client turned very good friend of mine. And her name is Candace Ruffin. She was actually asking my opinion about some changes she incorporated after my last set of edits. And uh, the very end of the email, she said, and I quote, lastly, I've been listening to your podcast during my morning walks. I'm going to need you to keep producing episodes. Oh my goodness. I get so inspired listening to your interviews. Please keep them coming. And that was enough to get my butt back in the chair. So thank you so much for the encouragement and for the accountability, Candace. I am going to keep these episodes coming. Uh, that being said, I'm so honored to talk to our guest today, Natalia Sylvester. I actually stalked Natalia on the internet through the Writer's Atelier account. I think we're at the point where all of my writer friends understand that I stalk them on the internet first. And in all seriousness, I admire, I admire writers so much, and it usually starts from a distance. Um, anyway, Natalia and I chatted online and then finally got to meet in real life at an AWP conference one year. And I admire her so much, and I'm so glad to have her on the podcast and hear more about her writing journey and her process. So here's Natalia's formal bio. Born in Lima, Peru, Natalia Sylvester came to the U.S. at the age of four and grew up in Florida and the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. She received a B.A. in creative writing from the University of Miami and now works as a freelance writer in Texas. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Bustle, Catapult, Electric Literature, Latina Magazine, McSweeney's Publishing, and the Austin American Statesman. Natalia's first novel, Chasing the Sun, was named the best debut book of 2014 by Latinidad. Her latest novel, Everyone Knows You Go Home, won an International Latino Book Award the 2018 Jesse H. Jones Award for Best Work of Fiction from the Texas Institute of Letters and was named a Best Book of 2018 by Real Simple Magazine. Natalia's debut YA novel, Running, is forthcoming in July 2020 from Clarion Books, HMH. Visit her at nataliasylvester.com. Let's listen in on my interview with Natalia now. Natalia, welcome to the podcast. It's so awesome to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you write and, you know, just a little bit about who Natalia Sylvester is. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I write fiction. 
Um, my first, I have three novels. My first um, two were for adults and my first one came out in, in 2014. It's called Chasing the Sun. My second one came out in 2018 called Everyone Knows You Go Home. And my third book is actually my debut YA novel. Um, it's called Running. And it's about a 15 year old girl whose father's running for president, just as she's realizing that um, her views and his don't line up. And so she has to decide if she's going to speak up um, against him in this very public way and essentially um, speak up for the things that she believes in while the whole country's watching. And in addition to that, um, so my day job is actually in writing as well, except I do um, copywriting and I have a marketing business that I've been doing for about 10 years now because I had started out in magazines and I always knew I wanted to write books, but I, um, I, at the time I was working in Miami, when I first graduated, I worked at a magazine and I realized I hadn't written in quite a long time. I hadn't written anything to do with my fiction. And so I decided to, to go freelance um, in the hopes that I would be able to create the space, um, both like the mental space, but just actually the, you know, the time in my schedule to devote just as much time to my fiction as I was to my day job. And over the years, that's taken all these different forms. I really ended up having to diversify quite a bit. And that's why now I mostly write for businesses and I write for a lot of mar like marketing companies, design firms and things like that. But I like to share that only because I think it's important for us. You know, there's, there's, there are all these ideas of the writing life and there are so many different paths. Um, there's no one right or wrong way to do it. And so this in particular has been mine. Yeah. Well, I love those still that you're pretty much, I mean, you're pretty much a full-time writer. It's just that you're writing different things at different times yeah. as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it definitely takes different, I think it exercises different parts of my brain. And um, <laughs> essentially, I'm still using very similar tools. You know, when I work with my clients, like I still have to think very much about voice and about like everything I it's still, you're still telling a story. You're still thinking about word choice. You're still thinking about how to best structure creating characters and things like that. But definitely I find that I could, I can probably write, like I can do like a full day of writing for my marketing clients and, and be, be okay. But um, I find that I can't actually write more than like a thousand to 2000 words a day. And that's a really good day of right. fiction only because it's so much more emotionally involved for me. Absolutely. Um, just based on the kinds of stories I write. Yeah. And um, so when you're writing for your other clients, you are doing this through your, your firm? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's yeah, the I have, it? Uh, so it's called Inky Clean. Oh, cool. And um, I've been, I started that around 2010. That's awesome. I love that. Um, just, just I'm, I want the name out there so people can look for it. You never know who's listening. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you decided that, you know, you wanted to start writing fiction. Like how um, did you come about that particular path of writing? When did you decide, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to write a novel. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Because the funny thing is that I, um, I was, I'd always been writing ever since, you know, I could first learn to read, but I actually started out with poetry. So that was my first love. I always, um, I always say that that was really how I fell in love with writing. That was probably even from the time I was like six or seven. I have like journals, I, you know, I would journal every day. I mean, I remember even in middle school, high school, college, I was always involved in like yearbook or newspaper. I always gravitated towards writing, but it wasn't until I got to college 
I was going to be a journalism major. And one day I was walking around campus. I was, I went to the University of Miami and I kind of got lost, I guess. I don't know. I wandered into the arts and science building and, you know, they have like those brochures kind of talking about all the different programs they have. And I saw one for creative writing. And I think up until that point, I had no idea that creative writing was a major. Like I didn't know it was a thing you could study, <laughs> which, which I know sounds really weird, but it's just, I hadn't given much thought to like, you know, who, who, how do you become someone who writes these books that we see? And because it just seemed so out of this world and it, it didn't seem some, like something that felt accessible to myself or to, to someone like me anyways. And so that was a real kind of eye-opening moment. And I think I just thought like, oh, I should do this. Like I've been writing my whole life and not calling myself a writer. You know, I had toyed with becoming an architect major because I was really good at math but I liked art you know like there were all these different things I had thought about becoming graphic designer and then I thought journalism and, you know and um it had never entered my mind to become a writer even though that's what I've been doing my whole life and so I entered the creative writing program and decided to minor in journalism and um in the beginning you didn't really have to choose a path like when you were taking the intro courses I was taking poetry and also fiction what was the real game changer for me is I remember very specifically, I was reading Cristina Garcia's Dreaming in Cuban, which is mm -hmm. a novel that she published in like 1992. But at the time, it was, I was, it was the first time I was reading it. And when I finished reading it, I was just so, I was just so sad to leave that world and to kind of say goodbye to the characters. And they stayed with me to the point that the next day I, I, t I said this to my fiction teacher and I told her, I want to do that. Like, I want to write something that will mean that much to someone. Aww. And I remember she high-fived me. She high-fived me. <laughs> she was wonderful. And she, I mean, her name is Evelina Galang, and she was my mentor. She's also an amazing author. Mm. Uh, and to this day, like, I stay in touch with her as well. So I, I feel very lucky that I had a lot of very supportive people. And just even, I don't know if you signs, but, like, just, you know, things kind of falling into place at the right time, in a very early time for me. And I feel very lucky for that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's weird at all that you didn't think that, you know, creative writing was a thing that you could major in. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, you know, I was in a similar boat. I had a professor that pulled me aside and asked me why the heck I was majoring in pre-optometry. <laughs> writing. Um, but the thought hadn't occurred to me either at that time, because when I think writing in English, I think, you know, like the literature based stuff, like, you know, British lit and um, yes. American lit, you know? Oh, um, I know. Yeah. I, and then like a, upon further inspection, right. And like, right. research, I saw that my school, yeah. uh, the University of South Florida, they had tracks for English. So you could major in oh. American lit or British lit or you could go the creative route and they had, it was like English with an emphasis on fill in the blank. Right. And hmm. you could do creative writing and creative writing, and you could even take it a step further by choosing a specific area of creative writing. So poetry versus fiction versus nonfiction, which I really appreciate it. Cause you usually yeah. don't see that until you get to like the MFA level. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So I think like it, I think, you know, that's something I talk about all the time, too, is that we definitely need to speak more to, I suppose, young writers about the different paths that they can take, because mm -hmm. 
there are so many ways you could go to make a living as a writer. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, I also want to come back to that point about calling yourself a writer. Um, how you've you said you'd always been a writer, but you just almost like you didn't think to, or you couldn't call yourself one. And I just want to talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of us kind of struggle with that, right? When we tell people what we do, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I write for a living because it's usually met with, you know, some hesitations or some looks or some judgments. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's, and there's always that, I mean, I, I still will get this to this day and be like, oh, who do you write for? Anyone I know? And so right away, it has to either be like, you know, some big publication or else people think that it doesn't count for some reason. I know. And I think that's just, it, it's so frustrating because nobody says, like, I would never say that. Right. <laughs> like, if someone tells me I'm a doctor, I'm like, oh, who are you doctor? Who are your patients? Anyone I know? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk a little bit about the mindset behind that. Do you think it's important mm-hmm. for us as writers to be proud of that, to, to acknowledge that we're writers and to like kind of not listen to people who may make us feel like our profession is not a profession? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, it's an entire mind shift, um, mindset mm-hmm. shift because it's tied into this idea that you're defined by the way that you make a living which is right. such a horrible capitalistic way of like defining a human life. Right. Um, even just when we talk about productivity, like if we weren't productive, then, then suddenly there's no value attached to it or the, or a day, yes. you know, a day in which you weren't productive is not a good day. And it's like, what about a day in which you rested in which you got inspired in which you took a walk and became and learned things that will become right. influence who you are as a person and therefore who you are as a writer. You yeah. know, it's just, and, and it kind of ties into my belief also that it's this, when people say, oh, you have to write every day. I'm like, oh, goodness, no. <laughs> um, I hate any kind of writing advice that, that falls into absolutes because, um, like you've said, like, there's no one way to do it. And, and that's the thing about any art is that if there were one, like, if it had a specific process mm-hmm. that you could outline, it would be, it would be like a science, you know, right. and it wouldn't be art. The art of it is is the beauty of it. And it's what you're saying what you're expressing what you're becoming through it what you're helping others learn and discover and mm-hmm. there's some there are so many intangibles in that I um did a like a year-long sort of self-study slash self-directed apprenticeship that my friend had like kind of um one another young adult author had kind of made up kind of like an apprenticeship program right mm-hmm. and my commitment was to write every single day which I did, mm-hmm. but I will say, I'm glad I did it, but, yeah. but I will say that I think like long-term that starts mm-hmm. to border. You, like I personally got obsessed <laughs> in an unhealthy way about like, I have to write, you know, I have to get this word count in today, this many words and it has to happen, you know, every day. And I think like it could have, I think it's a good thing to write regularly, but I do think it could have some dangerous um, mm-hmm. effects on your mind if you obsess about things too much you know? yeah so oh yeah absolutely and, and that's the other thing too about like the absolutes is that if if writing every day works for someone then great right, <laughs> right. I'm really all about find whatever works for you and actually I mean I like I go I go through phases is what my process mm-hmm. is 
I have these phases where I will write every day and I will set a goal, a word count goal every day because that's what works for me in that part of the process. And usually that will last like kind of maybe weeks at a time. And actually I do take weekends off. (laughs) So like my weekends are very, um, I, I really do block off that time for rest because I need it. But I'll go through phases, like I said, where it's like, cool, I just did, you know, a thousand words a day for the last four weeks. And I might need a few weeks even. I've taken months off from drafts, you know? Right. And in, in fact, I think when I look back at my process for each of my books, I tend to write like the first 30 to 70 pages in like this fury of like inspiration and um, mm-hmm. determination and kind of like this mad sprint of um, and where I'm very disciplined and very and it's very structured and I do kind of write every day and then I'll take and then I'll just exhaust myself and need time away from it for a while mm-hmm. but I've kind of come to recognize that and, and come to realize that yeah I guess that's just my process and so it's just I would I encourage people to just find theirs and and really realize that sometimes it, it will even change from story to story it'll change from depending on where you even are in your life, you know, like it's kind of my process right now is completely different from what it was for my last three books because I mean, we're in a pandemic. I mean, there's so many different things like emotionally we're in different places. Um, you know, there are, our focus might be in different places. And so I think we just have to be kind to ourselves and finding that out. And, and also knowing that there's a, there's a difference between when we know we're stepping away from a work because we need time off, we need time to kind of like, you know, recharge our batteries, like you'll say, like people say, or the other times there are times when we're just doing it out of fear or procrastinating. Exactly. <laughs> um, and the tricky part is distinguishing between those two. And I really think that's just something you hone over time. And like, it is a conversation that you have constantly with yourself of, of mm-hmm. checking in with yourself and being really honest and and where you're at in that process. Right. Right. I totally um, 100% agree with you. And I think process in general. Yeah. I, that's something I see. I see the, I see a lot of writers through the studio and I am always, you know, wanting to observe what is, what is it that blocks them? You know, what are some of the blocks that they have? What stops them? And I think a lot of the times it's trying to fit, into somebody else's process, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how they think it's supposed to be, you know? And I keep trying to tell them it's, it's a matter of finding whatever works for you. So I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, you know, mm-hmm. about what my process is and how I've done things, but that may not work for you. It just, yeah. we're all so different. And um, I think it's actually really interesting to see how we all have our own quirks and we all um, <laughs> approach writing in such different ways. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what's kind of fun about our our industry. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I when people ask me about my process, I usually will tell them I'll only answer as long as you don't compare mine to yours mm-hmm. um, because there's no right or wrong way to do it and if mine helps you find out something about yours then great but it doesn't have to yeah and and then it um I think you you touched on this a little bit too it just it also depends on the book that you're writing some I think require different things you know Mm -hmm. and some are more emotionally involved than others I find that like I've been working on my novel my young adult novel for like I'm in the seventh year (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I only finally just got an agent so 
I thank you. Um, but that book, I think part of the reason it's taken so long too is because I've I took long breaks in between drafts because my my novel is on anorexia and it was just like there was just so much emotional stuff in it that I think even for my own personal mental health like I do need those breaks away from it because it's such a heavy topic in general so Mm -hmm. yeah I could see that for sure I I feel the same way with my first book took me I think on and off five years I started it I started writing it in undergrad Mm -hmm. and it was it was a collection of linked short stories that became a novella and then when I graduated, I actually started writing another book. So it's like, it was this weird period where I was working on another one, but then also going back to that project. And mm-hmm. um, I managed to get an agent, like seven, maybe five years later with yeah. that new project, but that book didn't sell. It was on submission for like a year and a half. And um, like six months in, my agent had said, you should start working on something else. And so I, I went back to that project from my undergrad um, years and mm-hmm. polished it and rewrote pretty much the whole thing <laughs> and that became my first novel but I when I do look at it it was like a five to seven year process and mm-hmm. and it, it it can be for all sorts of different reasons you know and for me at the time I think it was because I hadn't at the time I started writing it I don't think I had lived the kind of experiences that were giving me the insight that I really needed to write it so it's just there's so much and you're right sometimes it's just things are too hard to write and you do need to take breaks from it and it's mm-hmm. I'm glad that you you took that like you you gave yourself that space yeah I've also found that I've had to accept that and I know you know I hear authors because obviously I'm just entering this traditional like process right or phase of things and and when I mean traditional I mean like traditional publishing and I think like entering this this phase of things I know that there will be a point where I have to be on deadline (laughs) right you know I'm I'm sure yeah I have accepted that I am typically a a slow writer for me I feel like I do my best work when I'm able to take my time Mm. um and so I've sort of accepted that I know like you know obviously if if it comes up later and I have to do something on, on a timeline then you know I'll deal with it at that time but for now I've just accepted that you know, it's, it's okay to write and take my time and yeah, absolutely. You know, get the right words on the page. So, yeah. So what was your, um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was your journey. What was your journey into actually publishing that first novel? And did you have any rejections? How was it getting an agent? What was that process like for you? Let's see. I, I got, I got, I signed up with my agent in 2010. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was, it was for another project, um, a, a novel that I had completed. And I had actually had a chance to pitch her in person at a conference that I'd gone to where, you know, it was like a writing conference here. I live in, I was living in Texas and so, and I still live in Texas. So mm-hmm. there's an organization called the Writers League of Texas that has an annual conference geared around connecting writers to agents and editors. And so I pitched two agents, my book at the time. And I also had been pitching and, you know, querying agents and so forth. And mm-hmm. one of them ended up representing my book. And so I was very excited. And I was, I think, you know, I think we went out with it to, <clears throat> on submission to editors after like maybe a round or two of revisions. And she, you know, mm-hmm. she wanted me to polish the book a little before sure. sending it out. And we very, like, I know, I think we ended up going on like three or four rounds of submissions. So, mm-hmm. and and like I said, like about six months into it, she said, you know, I think 
that you should start working in the meantime, start working on something else. I remember the, um, the feedback we got a lot was, it was really positive. It was editors saying, you know, and this, again, this was, this went out in 2000, it was towards the end of 2010 to like 2011 is when it was out on submission. They kept mm -hmm. saying they loved the writing, they loved the story, they thought it was really original, but they couldn't, they didn't know how they would market it. And at the time that was really disappointing, but I don't think I thought much more of it. Like I just thought, oh yeah, that's what happens. You know, that's just, yeah. you know, they have to know how to market it. We know a lot more now. Of course, <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, we know now that that's really code for what happens when you have an industry that's like 90 something percent white. And yep. there are, you know, when, and, and when they say they don't know how to market it, it's because they can't really imagine an audience that isn't reflective of themselves and they don't know how else to tailor the book for that audience. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, such a fallacy too, because it's, it's saying a lot of what you assume about the imagination of white readers, that they're incapable of empathizing with anyone who's slightly different from them. And also that if we don't then... If we're, it, it, it's like this horrible cycle really to me is it's like, well, then you're not, then you're perpetuating this idea that the only stories that matter are those that center white audiences and center white characters. My novel was about a Peruvian American immigrant family living in Miami. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that was something that when I went out on submission with my next book, which was, a, it was about a Peruvian family set entirely in Peru mm -hmm. um, in the 90s. And then <clears throat> this is when it started to click is that the feedback that I got for a, a long time, because it wasn't an easy sell, like this book was on submission seven or eight months. The feedback we got from several publishers was that they loved it. They loved the writing. They just wished that it would either be set in the U.S. or include American characters. And, and I would laugh because I said, <laughs> I'd be like, you mean United states <laughs> I'm like, American, you know, you know all, this is all the Americas. And what you're really trying to tell me is that you wish there were white characters. And so that really just, yeah. it, it was so frustrating to me, um, the ways that our books get, um, people try to whitewash our books in order to make them appeal to what they think is only, and actually, I don't actually think that people are, assume that it's only a white audience what they what they're saying there is that they're prioritizing the white audience yeah um, mm -hmm. and the needs of, of that audience and the comfort levels of that audience um yeah. at the expense of all the other readers and people who are you know who are also within this like so-called mainstream demographic that, that is often described and so mm -hmm. So yeah, that was really frustrating. <laughs> I was very, very lucky to find a publisher that wanted my book as it was. Um, and same for my second. But it has certainly been not without those battles and comments. So between that point, though, like the point where you're like, you're getting this rejection and then even starting to realize why, right? The real uh -huh. reason why, you know, your mind set in that instance is probably like pretty low right mm -hmm. so how what did you do I suppose I should ask to kind of like push yourself to keep going in those cases yeah. um I cried a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's something that doesn't happen right away like this idea of like you get back up and you try again it doesn't happen right, right away it takes time and you have to kind of give yourself that time Mm -hmm. um, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't consider changing my book because you kind of convince yourself 
at least in the beginning, I remember I convinced myself, I was like, oh yeah, no, this makes sense. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, I can do that. And you just can't pinpoint why it feels so wrong, but you've been told so many times that this is just the standard thing. And, and especially as a writer's just starting out and feeling like you don't have a lot of power and and just being Mm -hmm. happy to be in the room with like an agent and having a conversation with an editor it's um it's potentially very disempowering and mm-hmm. so i you know again like i i am lucky in that regard that i found a publisher who who didn't ask me to make that choice but i think over time and i think as i i as i became more aware of it and it made me angrier honestly it made me much more protective of my work yeah. it made me see these um, inequities and disparities in ways that you can't unsee yeah. And so it was not something I was willing to ignore. And and instead I looked to writers who were already doing that work and, and tr- just tried to think like, well, what would they do? You know, if they were posing this question and look at all they're putting out, look at how much courage they have to have to keep going and um, and how much determination they have to have. So I, 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 I took strength from that and inspiration from that. And um, mm-hmm. like, I always think, you know, we don't write, we write on, in isolation often, right? But right. when you are trying to get a book published, I never imagined my book just, like I never imagined my book sitting on a bookshelf all by itself, right? It's always like you imagine yourself walking into a bookstore and your book is there, like all these hundreds of thousands of books, right? Mm-hmm. And so what it is is that you're wanting to join a community. So I took strength from that is what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. and I think each year that passed and the more you do find people who are willing to support you in that it it, it makes a huge difference uh, i know that when we talk a lot about the lack of representation in books and especially even more like and i'm glad that we're having this, this these discussions in, in in a way that isn't just about like how nice it is to have diversity because it's not just about how nice it is to have diversity it's actually like the lack of representation is not just that we want to see ourselves reflected in books it's that black and brown people are literally dying because of the lack of imaginations of white audiences that can only see our bodies as threats and so um when you start to i guess for me when i started to see like no this isn't just about you know, having an industry that has, as sometimes would, as, as, as was sometimes said, like different flavors for everyone. It's like, no, no, this isn't about that. This isn't just about inclusivity. It's about protecting our communities. It's about mm-hmm. being actively anti-racist. Yeah. And for me, it's like when you find purpose, when you find that kind of purpose, that's what drives you to keep going. Yeah, I love that. I love that you put it like that. Um, And that's something, you know, I've been thinking about lately, too, is how important um, even like having this conversation, I'm glad that it's happening. But I think it's also important for like general mindset of writers, too, because especially those of us who are um, in, in marginalized groups, we need diverse books posted today. Yeah. You saw it, right? The statistics for 2019, I believe. Mm -hmm. Still pretty bad. So I've been just kind of listening to what people have been saying about, you know, the movement. And like, you know, there are people who even question, you know, why do we always have to bring in, you know, race and like this conversation about, you know, diversity and all of that and into things. And and 
I don't think people understand the, just how critical it is. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm with you. I hope, I hope that this, what's going on is going to really make for some lasting changes and not just people kind of talking about things on the surface. Um, So, yeah, I agree. It's like it has to happen at every level and every facet of society. Absolutely. Something you also mentioned too is about bringing in like a community. You wanted to join a community and that kind of leads into my next question on kind of like comparison with in the writing industry. Cause for me, so for me, one of the things we teach all the time at the studio is that, you know, we're a community. We try to, as much as we can to create a safe space for writers to feel like they can ask questions, they can learn, they can just be themselves, be who they are with, without any judgment. So my question to you is how do you avoid sort of that comparisonitis? Or so taking the approach of, Hey, we're all writers. This is a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and we're all in this together yeah such a good question because I'd be lying if I said I've never had like you know this feeling of like oh my god why not me right <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> we, we all go through that and I think it's the most human thing even with like I mean I've been part of writing writing groups for years now and with each within each one there are people who are in different parts of their process and so somebody might have signed with an agent somebody might already have a book coming out on contract and somebody else might just be starting out you know mm-hmm. I think a lot about so when I was in college I had a I I was also in dance and so I had an instructor who um, was wonderful and she always said to us she's like you can't compare yourself to me because you know she'd been doing this like 20 years yeah. and she was like you're just at a different beginning than I am. Like you've started at a different place. Like you are like, you can't, you can only compare yourself to yourself and where you are in your own journey. And then certainly, yeah, look to others for inspiration and motivation, but it's just, you know, if, if, if what we talk about is just how there's no one path, then we have to then embrace the fact that yours might be even beyond what you imagine. And, and, and when I do feel like that kind of feeling of, I don't know that lately it feels more like and I think this is something I've heard from a lot of people it's not so mm-hmm. much um, jealousy it's more of a when is it my turn kind of yes thing. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my soul because I can't tell you how many times I said that to myself yeah I I've been like my query process was like I had like almost 100 rejections it was like 90 something wow and yeah. I kept that, I honest to God, Natalia, that was my question every, every day that I was in those trenches. I was like, when is it going to be my turn? Yeah. It's so hard. And it's, you know, and it's when you're in it, the last thing you want to hear is someone else telling you, like, yeah. your time will come and you just have to keep going. Because mm-hmm. I've been there too. <laughs> like, I, you know, that's, I mean, and not only actually once, um, once Chasing the Sun sold and came out and I started working on Everyone Knows, yeah. uh, Everyone Knows Go Home, I sent that book to my agent and we did not connect with it at all. And so yeah. I had to part ways with her and it felt like starting all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, yeah, but now you have a book out, it's different, querying will be different. And in some ways it was, but in some ways it wasn't because what changed was that I got, people got back to me more quickly but they still rejected it. (laughs) They still were like, Oh, this isn't quite my, I mean, quite for me and all that or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it was just, 
and, and I think the last thing I would have wanted to hear back then too was like, you know, don't worry, this happens or it's mm -hmm. really hard when you're in it. Um, yep. But you just, the thing is that if objectively, if so many people have been already in it and they've been through it and a hundred percent of them got through it by staying in it and keep right. and, and continuing, then really that's the only certainty we have is that you just have to stay and keep doing what you're doing and, um, and be willing to learn and grow and change along the way, obviously. But I do think like when I, when I see a post <laughs> on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, where I'm just kind of like, Oh, I, it's, I give myself time. Like, I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to come back and congratulate this person when I feel like it's coming from a really genuine and pure and, and, and like good place because that will make me feel good. You know, and sometimes it takes, you know, it takes a little bit of time, but then it's like, okay, allow yourself that time to realize like you're human and you can choose what to do with the, these feelings and you'll feel better about it if you choose to celebrate someone because you would want that same thing for yourself. You know? Absolutely. I love that you did not give up though. And I, um, I think the, you know, switching agents these days is like more common than people think. And I'm so glad that you didn't stop there because it would have been easy to just be like, ugh, I didn't, I did, I did something wrong, you know, and not, not mm -hmm. right anymore, you know? Um, yeah. That's, those are the things that I love hearing about a journey is that when you have that sort of moment when you're, at least it feels a little bit like rock bottom and then you mm -hmm. somehow just keep going. Like you find the strength to, to keep going and to keep, trying to reach those dreams, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm so glad you did not give up. Um, no, you didn't either. I mean, there's so many people who will like, and that's the thing, actually, I know that to query a hundred people sounds like a lot, but yeah, you know, you, I'm sure you know this as well too, like just talking to other people, it's actually more the norm than not. Yes. Um, yeah. And you, you know, the, somebody, somebody who gets a, an agent sooner than that, it's really just luck. It's like, yeah. oh, you found that person more quickly. Yeah. Because they could have just as easily been your number 100 than your number five. That's you know? true. That's it's, true, too. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I'm very, so like, I'm very woo-woo about things. Um, <laughs> I really think like timing, too, makes a difference. Like, you know, I think about this yeah. all the time. Like, my agent wasn't an agent when I first started querying. Oh, wow. You know, so that was in my eyes destiny you know like she was always supposed to be my agent yeah you know? but she wasn't an agent at that time so she could not have been my agent so yeah I just kind of think like I think timing is definitely an important thing to remember and, and a, a lot of this industry is being at the right place at the right time um yes you have to have talent mm -hmm. but you know so many factors I think play into like the moment being the right moment oh yeah absolutely yeah so what do you do when, like, when you're not writing, how do you take care of your mind outside of writing? Oh, my God. I, this question always makes me laugh because I feel like the most boring person ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I read a lot. I, mm -hmm. uh, I, I do a lot of exercise. It helps me a lot to kind of unplug and be a little more in my body rather than in my mind. I, I had two dogs and my husband and I, like, they're, they're like our life. And so we spend a lot of time, like, walking them, playing with them, um, 
I mean, not, I guess right now there's only so many things you can do, but right. normally, you know, I, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from like movies and, and really good TV shows. Like I'll think about them for a while and how like they were crafted and, yeah. um, which is funny because like, I want to just watch to watch, but I can't help sometimes if something really um, <laughs> leaves an impact, I'll think about the storytelling and how it happened and how yes. it was crafted. I don't. Yeah, I don't have a lot of hobbies. I mean, I've tried. I've, you know, I've tried knitting for a while. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I, there's like, and then I'm just no good at it. So then I get frustrated. Um, <laughs> I think everything, and like everything comes back to words. And well, so, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It makes me feel kind of boring, but. Oh, I, and I like, I really love fashion. So <laughs> that's it, like, those are my loves, you know. Like, hey, that's what I love like too. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't think that that's boring at all. And I think also, like, one thing that I have read, you know, I read, I'm not the best at practicing it, but the movement, right, the movement of your body, right, mm-hmm. is heavily tied to to mindset work. And sometimes even, like, you know, the, you can get really technical with, like, the different um, bits of science and psychology that kind of coincide with movement. But movement is tied to a lot of things like focus and Mm -hmm. mental stamina, all of those things. So I think that's great that you, that you have those outlets because that absolutely counts. (laughs) (laughs) I like to do things like, I, I think more so the reason I'm asking this question is because I think we talked a little bit about it before, but rest is so, so critical to whatever it is you're trying to achieve, whatever goal you're trying to get to, it doesn't, I'm not necessarily talking about writing, but certainly writing, um, whatever goal you're trying to get to, taking care of your mind and also resting your mind is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've certainly been one of those people who, who go full steam ahead and then I end up burning out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then I have to take a step back, so it's really good that you practice that really on a daily basis, right? And mindset work, I think, is also something that is, you don't just snap your fingers and say, wow, I am a positive person. Right. I know how to navigate this writing industry because I have all the tools, you know, like I can keep talking to myself. It it doesn't quite work like that. It's more a habit that you have to kind of work on, on a daily basis. Yeah. So... That's awesome. Well, I have one more question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to a writer who is trying to get published, regardless of the path that they want to take with getting their work out there, maybe just in general that they want to be a a good writer and they want to do it as a profession, what piece of advice would you give this individual? Wow. Um, (laughs) You know, I think, I mean, I've, I've given a lot of advice and I know like the whole, like keep going is like, there's a lot of, there are, there's a lot of really great advice out there. I think though, if you're going to give so much of yourself in the journey mm-hmm. that, that you might as well make sure it's coming from a true place. And so in those moments when you are asked to maybe, when you start to consider either changing what you're writing because of the market or, or some, or, you know, an outside voice, um, and if it's not aligning with what that true place is, then I would say, like, really question that, you know? Um, yeah. Because none of us really do this to get rich, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and so it's really like, well, why are you doing it? 
you know, and it's usually it's because you have a story or stories that you want to tell. And to lose sight of that, I think, in the journey would be the, like kind of really tragic because it, it, it will take a lot from you. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but it will ask a lot of you. You know, it'll ask you to keep going when it's hard and it's going to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to bring a lot of self-doubt with it sometimes because we're writers and that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean that we don't listen to feedback or that we don't, you know, accept voices that aren't necessarily telling us what we want to hear. Cause I mean, I think it's necessary to grow and learn from each other. But I feel, I went to a workshop years ago um, with Daniel Jose Older. And he said something. He he said that um, when you're revising, the way you know you're going in the right direction is that it's bringing you closer to the heart of your story. And I think that that's something that applies to writing career in general. Is it bringing you closer to the heart of what what you want to do, of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to put out there. And that could change over time or and it's, it's hard. It's sometimes we don't often know, but I think we also do, like we know what feels right and what doesn't. So we have to not be afraid to listen to that either. Just as much as we listen to other voices, we have to listen to ours too. Yeah, uh, that was good. <laughs> that was so good. I love that. So where can people find you, Natalia? Um, where are you hanging out online? Um, so I'm on Instagram at Natalia Silv, and that's also my handle on Twitter, Natalia mm-hmm. Silv, and it's N-A-T-A-L-I-A-S-Y-L-V. Mm-hmm. And um, my website's just nataliasylvester.com. And I'll be, I'm doing a giveaway right now of running because it comes out July 14th. And so I'm doing a bunch of stuff um, leading up to the release of, of my next book. Awesome. And, and yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yay. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I cannot thank you enough for chatting with me, chatting with our audience. And I am wishing you all the best with running. I'm excited to read it. Thank you. (laughs) I got it on my list. Congratulations. (laughs) Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And congratulations to you too. I look forward to hearing your news and following your journey too. Oh, (laughs) thank you. There you have it. Natalia Sylvester, you guys. A total inspiration. As was mentioned, Natalia's debut YA novel, Running, will be out on July 14th. Please be sure to check it out and support her. And don't forget to check out her other books as well. I have included links down below in the show notes if you want direct links to those things. You can also find her online. And again, that information is also in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening, you all. If you're enjoying the Right Mindset podcast, I encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also check out Writers Atelier at writersatelier.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you're interested in joining our membership, you can do so through Patreon. Take care and happy writing life.